0: Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFist podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 248, and today's guest is Gogi Gupta, founder of Gupta Media. Music is a passion of mine, technology is a passion of mine, and also digital marketing is a passion too. So what if you could roll up all three into one? Well, you'd have Gupta Media, and that is why you'll hear the fanboy come out several times during my interview with Gogi. He takes us down the journey of his agency, Gupta Media, and how it has brought the modern world of performance marketing to the entertainment industry. The agency, which is based in Boston, not New York City or LA, supports the biggest music labels and entertainment companies in the world. I'm talking the music labels behind The Weeknd, Adele, Taylor Swift, or music festivals like Boston Calling and countless others. For example, Gogi was one of five people who knew about Beyonce's legendary secret album drop that absolutely rocked the music industry in terms of how it was released, and Gupta Media was the agency that supported this global digital marketing campaign. I guess Gupta Media would be the alter ego business that I'd like to run, I have to admit it. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like the power of optimism and why it is such a meaningful word for Gogi, his background story growing up and a look at his professional career prior to starting the agency, the full life cycle story of how Gupta Media built their reputation in the entertainment industry and how it has continued to be a force throughout the years, what it is like working there and the growth plans ahead, lots of great stories from his experience in the music and entertainment industry, trends in digital marketing, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, if you have been enjoying the Venture Fiz podcast, then please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we have, the more that people will discover these amazing stories about entrepreneurship and the tech industry. Thanks in advance. We appreciate it. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Gogi. Gogi, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited about this one. Oh, uh, so excited because um, I get to talk about uh, things that I'm passionate about. When I saw your business, I'm like, man, if I could combine, uh, you know, running an agency that combines, you know, digital marketing, technology meets music, I think I would be in heaven. And you run that business, so we're going to talk a lot about your agency that you've built uh, from scratch. Um, but one of the things I thought that was super intriguing was uh, the title on your LinkedIn profile is Optimist. And when I think of myself and you know the way I'm trying to raise my kids is optimism is so important you know that powerful thing of positive thinking so why is that listed as your title on linkedin you know i think a lot about like what you want from you know an ad man
1: what you want from a technology provider what you want from a consultant um and it all comes down to like being able to say like we can do that um and you know i think being an optimist is just another way of saying like yeah we'll figure it out like you know, at the end we'll win at the end, we'll get it right. Um, and I like, you know, I see li- the LinkedIn things and it's like, uh, I wish I had HBS and Goldman and McKinsey. And, you know, if, if I had those, maybe I would list all of that. Uh, uh, but then I think if you, if you're not, you know, sort of that platinum pedigree, it becomes like a little bit of like just gobbledygook, uh, And when I was putting that in, and it's funny because I get a lot of comments about it um, because I think it matches my personality, is is that it's like, huh, like, you know, especially the last two years where there's so much to be dour about. And it's like, you know what, there's this like relatively successful person that just like thinks they can figure it out. Uh, And, you know, I've uh, I've thought about changing it, but I don't have anything
0: better to change it to. So if you have any ideas, I'm all yours. I'm a fan. I thought change of myself, my, my title to that, because I think every <laughs> entrepreneur needs that trait. Otherwise, you won't be successful. If you're not an optimist about what you're doing, then what are you doing? Like You, right. you should be out of business because if you're not optimistic about the future of your business, then hey, you got a long road ahead of you. So uh, I, I love that. That's awesome. So all right, well, let's uh, rewind the clock. So where did you grow up? What were you like as a child?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a funny question. I, I grew up in, uh, well, I was born in India. Um, Some first generation immigrant, grew up in uh, Pittsburgh, then moved to Buffalo, New York for most of uh, like my middle school, high school, went to Cornell, um, graduated Cornell, went to New York for a year. Then, you know, New York just ate me um, and came up to Boston. I've been here for the last 21 years, uh, married, three kids, um, you know, just uh, I think Boston suits me. It's the right, uh, you know, it's a smart city. It's not a big city. It's just like, it feels like college still.
0: Well, I I saw on your on Twitter, you tweet a lot about the Bills and the Bills Mafia, which uh, had a great season this year. It didn't end the way that you hoped, of course, Um, you know, that just constant struggle continues for the Bills fans, which I'm optimistic with Josh Allen. That's going to change real soon because the tide is turning. But uh, now I see I'm connecting the dots of how you became part of that whole Bills Mafia thing, which is cool. Um, After Cornell, what, what was like your first job out of school? So um, you know, if you have to, you had
1: to go back. This is 1999. This is the heyday of the dot-com bubble. Um, I was a public policy major. Um, public policy was always interesting to me because it was where science met people, um, and where it wasn't just like it was like social science met people, and you could improve lives. And uh, I never thought that would have such a direct correlation to advertising, but it really is like if you think about digital advertising and performance media, it's like how do you take numbers influence people and then measure the impact of that. So that public policy mind at Cornell, um, I think is uh, it has helped me in ways I don't think I would have understood back then. But I was recruited to PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, part of their management consulting team. Um, when I was a senior in college, I thought, um, you know, you got a job in October, um, you know, and you got wined and dined and flown to New York. And that was like the, the frothiest the bubble was, uh, uh, january 2000 is when the bubble popped so I had the job offer in the frothy times end of the world in january and you know to price waterhouse uh to their credit they honored the jobs um, they took us all down to tampa for three months of training uh, and it was the job was like how do you apply technology to business problems right like we were working in the crm team um Siebel
0: was the main system back in those days. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember Siebel. Well, actually the company I was working at, they were implementing Siebel and doing a whole customization configuration. So it was a ton of work. Yeah, it was, uh, what was interesting to me at PricewaterhouseCoopers was like, we were doing it for
1: big banks, investment banks. And, uh, you know, some IT team had dreamt up that if we got all of these managing directors to put their contacts in, uh, to a CRM, um, like, and we would build these systems and we go to roll them out. And you know, the head of investment bank would be like, I will never put anyone in that system. And it's like, we just built you a system. He's like, I will ne- I will quit today if you talk to me about that system again. And you were like, to me, that was the first time it became so apparent how important relationships were. And it was, I was like on the on the stick end of that, like it was like my relationship is so important and so personal. Um, that I'm not giving it to a system to market to or somebody else to pick it up like that is my little black book of you know important people um, so Coopers had uh, you know the challenges about a year into the job they had a huge round of layoffs and I was
0: uh, laid off then and then you went to Akamai to work on their internal systems or yeah <laughs> it's it's funny because uh, Gogi and
1: 2000 would have never uh, believed that i'd be having a conversation like this um you have to remember i was laid off twice and fired once um in like the first 18 months two years of working um oh man so i was laid off from pricewaterhouse coopers i was fired from a small consulting firm up here in boston and then i went to akamai and akamai was just a wonderful place um they were um, just a great employer. They, um, uh, w- one of their founders was sadly killed in 9-11 um, and just sort of coming off the back of that, uh, you know, the company was, the economy was struggling. Um, so about a year and a half, two years into that job, uh, I was laid off again, uh, but I had started, uh, you know, at that point I had figured out that I wasn't uh, really employee material. Um, And I think maybe that was uh, one of the smarter things I did. And I started freelancing, you know, the quote-unquote side hustle. Um, And so when that news came at Akamai, it was like I already knew what I was—I was thinking about doing next.
0: Yeah, like I mean, it's never a happy time to get laid off, but sometimes it opens the door, where maybe Mm you are kind of like, I want to. Geez, I've got this steady well, quote, unquote, steady uh, job where I'm getting paid yet. I've got this freelance work. When do I cut the cord? I think that's a hard decision for people to make when you go all into that side hustle. So sometimes it's more of a decision made for you type of thing that just I've got this leap of faith that I don't really need to make a decision on anymore.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting way to look at it. I think that maybe I would have been comfortable and not like been forced to go see what I could do. Um, Hadn't thought about it that way. So uh, thank you. (laughs)
0: Now, did you, like, were you always passionate about music? Because your agency, Gupta Media, is focused around, you know, music and entertainment, you know, servicing those customers. It's not like Boston is the mecca of that industry. So, um, you know, how did those roots start of you? You know, was it just, I'm, I'm passionate about music, and this is kind of how it's going to go, or? It's almost the exact opposite. It's uh, like you know, I'm a
1: huge sports fan uh, mm-hmm. and I love movies and there's a long list of things I love. And at the bottom of that list is, you know, I'm a diehard music fan. Um, and it's just like, if you go to record labels, they're full of people that love music and were musicians or, you know, like they spent their whole life wanting to work at a record label because they they thought they had golden ears, uh, right? They would be able to find the next, uh, big act. And, you know, when we showed up, um, it was just very calculating. Um, So, you know, it was an entire industry that was trying to do it on gut and ears. um, And we were doing it with data. So like, you know, that was this big counterbalance. Um, So I don't know if we could have competed by saying like, we love music more, um, because you just can't, you can't win that game. Uh, Where we did win uh, was saying like, we are, so removed from what the actual music is, we'll just tell you if your advertising was working, and it was like an unbiased source of truth. Um, and we did some interesting things. Um, can I tell you a quick story before?
0: I, I'm uh, looking forward to lots of stories from this podcast because <laughs> in the industry you're in, I'm sure there's plenty. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm sure you remember. Do you remember when Carson Daly used to do TRL live? Yeah, absolutely. Like
1: yeah, Times Square, right? Like uh, I think if you're a certain age, that was like you came. That was from the high thing. Yeah, you turn on your TV, right? Um, so if you think we're, you, 2001, 2002, right? E-com wasn't really a thing. Digital marketing had been born four years earlier. Um, and most of the world, when they went to go do digital advertising and music, was saying like, we're going to run banners. People are going to click on these banners. Then They're going to go to Walmart, but you can't buy from walmart.com. So they're going to remember um, that they clicked a banner went to Walmart. Next time they're in Walmart, they're going to buy the CD, Mm -hmm. right? Like that was digital marketing. And it turned out like we would get people to click on our ads, people would buy the album, but it was impossible to tie those things together. Sure. Um, So one of our first projects for Disney Music Group was uh, we like, if you remember TRL, one through 10 got their video played uh, Mm -hmm. and full length and Carson Daly went on and on about how great it was. And it was like four or 500,000 kids watched every day. It was like a cultural zeitgeist thing Four four hundred, five hundred thousand 500,000 people watched every day, but very few people voted. Right. So we figured out if we could take digital advertising and drive people to vote, oh, we man. didn't have to sell albums because they would do it for us. Right. Brilliant. Uh, so there was, there was an, a duo, Ali and AJ, uh, and, uh, That looks as you might
0: like. I'm just like were they like in the whole
1: Disney world, like Blue, Hillary Duff, Jesse McCartney. Yeah, that whole world, that whole world, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we got all their fans to vote, and one day they were sixth on TRL. And I remember watching Carson Daly's reaction was like out of nowhere comes Allie <laughs> and AJ to number six, on, you know? Uh, and it was like, he was surprised, we were surprised. Uh, but what happens is like, you have someone shoot up like that and nobody knows where that buzz came from, right? So the radio stations start playing it because they can't be late. And the, and the retailers want to be cool because like there's this cool new band from Disney that everybody loves and it's on TRL and that never happens. So we want to start stocking it. Right. And then Live Nation and AEG call and they said, like, we want to put them on tour. Right. And all the, and then it's the and, you know, they were like, they're exactly what you think. they were very good looking pop stars to so the magazine covers and the website profiles. Right. And what magically started happening is albums started flying off the shelves. Right. And what was cool about that was we sold albums using digital advertising. That's like the beginning of the story and the end of the story. Right. right. But when everybody else said, like, you sell an album using digital advertising, it's by clicking a banner, going to retail, somebody remembers that they buy it, and like, that's drop, drop, drop. We pulled a string and it rained. Right. And then people started, like, how the hell is like Disney having, you know, it'd be Britney and Rihanna and all these like legitimate pop stars? Six, seven, eight, nine were like, you know, wow. we, were, we were running campaigns for.
0: Well, just, it was thinking different, right? It was like, okay, we got to leverage this asset, which is, you know, people weren't thinking about digital advertising and how to leverage the internet properly at that point in time. So it was just coming at it with a fresh eyes. Yeah, we had very little money. We had a ton of passion, right? Fan passion.
1: And we figured out how to take our little bit of money and that ton of fan passion and turn it into retail. And it's like, we've done stuff like that through the history of the agency, Um, but it is like, you know, there's some games you can win and lose, but we like to play them a little bit different. And I think that's where our clients have always uh, like called us for.
0: So what's, what were some of the other earlier customers that you worked with that had that, you know, same level of impact? Um, if you remember, like, um, so
1: when we started, most of the work we did from 2002 through 2010 was domestic U.S. Um, and then we started Sony, uh, Sony music started saying like, you know what, like the U S is so far ahead of the rest of the world in marketing sophistication. Like, will you help us educate uh, the entire globe? All right. And that's like one of those things where, um, you know, they fly you around the world and you're dropping in and like the, uh, we'd be in Tokyo and they fly every APAC country in to have a seminar. Uh, Right, And we would be in London and it'd be every European head um, coming to do a seminar about digital marketing over two days. It was just like unbelievably fun things. Um, That's crazy. So we were at the forefront of like, how do you market globally? But if you go back and again, it's kind of funny because everyone has to jump on the time machine and come back with me. But in 2008, 2009, 2010, it was like, you bought your music if you bought it as a, a digital download on iTunes. Right. Uh, But every country had a different song. Like the song was different skew, country by country. And the iTunes store, there's 192 different iTunes stores. Um, And you could only access your country's iTunes store, right? So you couldn't market globally because you didn't have anywhere to fulfill that demand. Um, So we built a piece of technology called Smart URL. And I just sold it off to our competitor in December, but we built a piece of technology called Smart URL that you clicked a link and it hit our ser- uh, our servers. We did this lookup of what country you were in, what device you were on and where we should send you. And then magically we would just send you to the retailer that you could buy from, right? So in the US it might be iTunes. In France, it was FNAC. In Singapore, it was the Telecom's mobile store but everybody like the web, and the a link is the atomic unit of the web. You don't need JavaScript. You don't need anything. You just need a link. Right. So when we rolled these out, all of a sudden, like global marketing was impossible. Everybody did it country by country. And we built a tool that tied everything together. Right. So smart girl would, you'd click it and it'd be like, Oh yeah, you're on the Argentinian Argentinian iTunes store and you can buy uh, the song you're looking for. So smart URL was like, nah. I remember sending out the first email about smart URL and it's the only time in my career that I sent an email and my phone started ringing, uh, and it would like, we did it as beta people would be pissed that we wouldn't give them access to it. Some smart developers started hacking their own versions of it, but it was like, it was like, we had a drug and everybody wanted it because everybody had been banging their head on how do you market globally? Uh, because Beyonce is not going to post. 60 times for each country. Right. Um, so we solved that. And that was like really exciting. And then, you know, we had, so when Beyonce released her, um, surprise album, there's five people in the world that knew about that. Um, myself, uh, you were one of them. (laughs) (laughs) We were, uh, so, you know, you, this is like December 13, 2012. I forget the exact date, but somewhere in there, um, Sony calls says we're going to have a giant rock album. Um, we need to have staff at midnight. Uh, I told one of my employees, who's just you know fantastic, uh, that you know we have something coming. You have to be at home. Uh, 11.35, they tell us it's Beyonce. And every, until then, it was always you did single one two months before, single two a month before, the big single two weeks before. And then it was release week and it was just, you know, like takeover media. And this was Beyonce dropping an album and nobody knew about it, right? Um, and yeah, so- Game-changing. Game-changing, right? Um, so there's five people in the world that know about it. Um, Sony calls us, and says, it's Beyonce, it's going live in 30 minutes. Let's get launching this campaign, <laughs> right? So there's five of us that know about it. And the tool she used oh to God. make it so global um, was Smart URL,
0: right? that um, is awesome.
1: Right, and it was just like, sitting there feeling like, and if you remember that next morning, it was a fantastic Mm -hmm. album. It was such an innovative marketing stunt. And to have like, be in the middle of it on the marketing side and like, know that your technology stack is the one that made it like, you know, it was number one in every country. It was like, just, it took over the world. Uh, Be like, we did that and we built the roads to do that. I mean, she did the music, she did the launch, she did all the artistry, but when it came to the plumbing,
0: it was like, you know, we did that. Well, before we started recording this podcast, um, you know, this is mainly audio. So it's, you know, some, we may have some clips with the video, but the background where you're, where you are, there's some beautiful artwork of album covers and cassette tapes. And you were talking about the different ones. And I'm like, have you, were you involved in promoting all those? And you're like, well, some of them like Taylor Swift, 1989, like, so to feel like, you know, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, that, you know, legends, amazing musicians, you um, incredible but you're part of that plumbing that made that piece like you feel like you were part of that team like that's that's just gonna be very satisfying to feel like you were part of 1989's massive success or Beyonce like just crazy yeah it, it is um you
1: know sometimes it's like there's one version of me that I'm like a suburban dad of three uh I have three <laughs> daughters and it's like, you know like the alter ego <laughs> yeah and I'm like I, I think that's the, maybe the closest version of me, like laying on the sofas and playing with my kids is like my favorite part of the week. Uh, but then I, you know, come to work and it's like, uh, it's just like what we've built. I, I have a new hire here. I took him out to lunch yesterday and he's, you know, from LA. Um, and he mentioned to his like 22 year old friends that he was going to go work for a small marketing agency, Gupta media in Boston. And they're like, you're going to work for Gupta. And he was like blown away. And I, I I'm blown away that they knew about it. And they're like, they're like, oh yeah, you can't, you can't release music without hiring those guys. And he's like, <laughs> uh, it's just fun to sort of hear, um, where the agency has gotten to. I had a client the other day who I'd never met and wasn't a client, sort of an industry contact. And he said like, you know, there's a bunch of people that don't actually believe you exist. Uh, and I was, <laughs> cause I never leave. Boston. I had to like, stay at my desk. I'm a homebody. right? Like I had twins and it was like, my wife like, not traveling anymore. I was like, I'm not traveling anymore. So, uh, It is. it's funny that the name and the work has uh, traveled as far as
0: it has. Well, it's really hard to build an agency and to have it be successful. But the thing that I picked up from you, and I think this is the success of most companies, especially agencies, is uh, there's a problem. You think of creative ways to solve it, and then they refer or they want to do more business with you. And that leads to referrals. Uh, you had a LinkedIn post that said, hey, I started out with Disney Music, which then referred me to RCA, then referred me to Sony, referred me to Columbia, to Capital, and now I'm working with Fender. And this was all through your contact at Disney Music, you know, 20 years ago, whatever it was. He's now chairman of Disney. He, when
1: when I first met him, he was like vice president of new media as what we used to call the internet, which was like the most like entry level job. Like like, you had to hire a kid that said, like, when everyone's like, What are we doing about Napster? He'd be like, Our vice president of new media is devising a strategy. Uh, and it'd be like, you know, the coolest looking person you could find that like knew the internet. Uh, so he's VP of new media and he's chairman of Disney Music Group right now. He is, and he's the nicest, um, like, Walt Disney couldn't be prouder of the man that he has running his music group right now, just uh, the embodiment of Disney. Um, Um, But yeah, it's funny. Like we both grew up together. The nicest compliment I've ever gotten was when he got promoted to SVP of marketing. uh, He called me um, and he said, we got promoted. And I was like, you know, there's not a lot of people in the world that get that type of promotion and say, we got promoted. Um, You know, and I think it's those relationships that are like, you know, those have, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to build them and
0: um, lucky enough to maintain them over the last 20 years. Well, let's talk about Gupta Media today. So, like, what's your what do you what do you do? It, like, what's your go to market as far as how you present the the, the agency of what you do and the different types of strategies that you help companies with?
1: Yeah, uh, well, those are two very interesting questions, uh, and I think they're separate. Um, I think. And, I, and it will take all of your editing skills to make sure this doesn't sound like there's a ton of ego in it because there is probably a ton of ego in it. Um, I'm a firm believer that agency services, like any professional services are bought, not sold. Um, and like, I wouldn't trust a lawyer that called me and said like, hey, do you need legal advice? Like the first thing you do is hang up, right? Um, I don't think you can sell, you know, something that's expertise driven like this. Um, so we have to be very careful that we, don't sell um, you have to call us uh, and that means that you know who we are you know our work you know our reputation and those all have to be sterling uh but when you're in that moment uh when there's a problem that nobody else can solve like i want you to call us uh and the sales process is fundamentally different then right like uh the sales process isn't me selling you something you don't think you need it's you
0: buying something that you desperately need. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, that's the way that I mean, that's uh, I've been fortunate with VentureFizz. Like I've never had salespeople, everything's referral-based, inbound. Mm-hmm. And I've been fortunate, you know, that if you build a product that people find value out of, they will talk and share the success with others that lead to. Grow from there, so it's uh, I totally agree. It's a very smart way. Uh, but how do you do that as far as scaling the agency? Because you know, you as the person that founded it, you know, you're deeply rooted with your customers. You're always thinking about the best way to deliver. It can be hard to maintain that same level of quality as you scale. Um, so h- how do you keep that integrity together? Let me ask you a question: Do
1: you drink and do you drink sherry at all? No. Uh sherry's interesting, right? Because it's non-vintage. And I, I will answer your question. This gets to your question, mm-hmm. but Sherry is non-vintage and it's made in a method called the Solera system, right? So 1900 in Spain, they made a vat of Sherry. Um, in 1901, they sold half of it, put the 1901 grapes in. In 1902, they sold half of that all the way to now, right? So when you buy a bottle of Sherry, you get a drop of 1900 you get two drops of 1901, you get four drops of 1902. Um, And the Solera method says the old teaches the new. Um, So I've always taken that as like my management style is that I'm like a project goes out and it has a drop of me, right? And it's got a lot of my account director and a lot of the associate account director and a lot of the strategy folks. And, but most of it is delivered by an analyst or a senior analyst, right? Uh, but the old teaches the new. Um, so the way our training goes, um, the way that uh, the team is transparent with data, the way the team is transparent with the results, the way the team uh, talks to clients uh, and maintains those relationships, I think that's what I've sort of instilled in this agency. But the work is largely, you know, the account director's
0: down or the creative directors down. What's the size of the agency now in terms of number of employees? We're just about 80 people now. Okay, and then what about plans ahead as far as hiring growth plans? Yeah, that's a, that's
1: a good one. Uh, we are growing very quickly um, in terms of headcount. We're growing faster in terms of like top line billables. Um, we are transforming in the type of projects that we take on. Um, You know, so we're going from smaller project-based accounts to more strategic evergreen accounts. Um, So I think we'll be somewhere in this 80 to 110 range, maybe for the next two, three years. Um, And they always say professional services organizations grow horizontally, not vertically. Um, So we have to make sure that, you know, if we stand up a new team, that team is as good as the existing team, right? We never want someone to be like, oh, you know, I got the new team and it's just like it has your name on it but it's not as good so it's a slow deliberate approach to make sure um, that you know if you interact with any of my five soon to be six media teams um you can't tell the part and you can of course there's different people and different skill sets but the sort of quality that we expect is there
0: because what's on the mind of uh you know the, the music companies today you think about the story you told about TRL and how you came up with that innovative solution on how to get Disney music artists into that rotation. Like w- things are constantly changing in marketing. Apple's making changes. Google's making changes. Social media channels change. You know, TikTok is something that didn't really have a presence. I don't know how many years ago, but not too long ago. So uh, what's on the mind of, you know, the, the the record labels, the artists and the music industry and how to get the attention of consumers, because that has got to be really hard. Yeah, that, uh,
1: another great question. I think that when you think back to when albums were sold, like every week, there was a different amount of music put out and the top line revenue of that week was different. Uh, and it was very much like if you put an effort, you had a great album, you had great music, you had great marketing, you had great promotions, you could drive uh, outsized uh, album sales. Right Um, now largely the amount of money that is available to the record labels on a week to week, month to month basis is fixed, right? It's capped at the, you know, if if streaming is a huge uh, percentage of the industry and the streaming, even if there's growth at any individual DSP, um, it's usually like, I was on Spotify now and I'm on Amazon music, right? it's uh, market share, uh, but the overall pie is starting to plateau so labels are, uh, of course they're continuing to invest in new artists. Um, but the game has gone from, you know, if we do it, there's unlimited dollars to, we are fighting, um, sort of the inertia of catalog music. Uh, I think one of the scariest things in music right now is catalog sales have historically catalog, meaning 18 months and older have historically been somewhere in the 20% range of total revenue, um, they're creeping sort of 70, 80% now. Wow. And I'm not shocked. (laughs) Yeah. Because, uh, so it's, it's not a good situation when most of the money is going to, you know, older artists or dead artists' estates, um, right. That's just not a great dynamics. I think, you know, at some level we're going to have to fix that. Uh, but I think that how you soak up, um, you know, we call it the attention economy, there's 86,400 seconds in a day. And labels are thinking about how, if they can have people spend time on their playlist, consuming their music, um, I'm actually taking it from my competitor, which means I get a bigger share of the pie. Um, So the, the music has an interesting dynamic right now where it went from sell as much as you can
0: to a market share battle. That is so interesting. Cause yeah, I spend countless hours going through old music just because, you know, the world is your oyster in Spotify. And I'm like, okay, you know, growing up, I didn't appreciate the doors, but I certainly do now. So let me listen to every album and soak it all in where, you know, I probably wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. And then it's a very singles based business now, like the artists just produce singles and, you know, the full length feature album that you used to wait in line for, for, you know, the, Pearl Jam versus it's just I I, it makes me sad that kids don't have that opportunity to have have that and I appreciated Adele's stance that like I created this album in this sequence on purpose and I want Spotify or whatever music streaming to play it in that order for whatever stretch of time maybe it was a day I have no idea but I was like you know what because that was real like you used to think as an artist like the sequence of the songs and it mattered
1: yeah it's uh You know, as much as I think you might like that, I think there's, uh, you know, the youth are saying, like, why does it matter?
0: Let me just. This is the. turning 50 year old me and me that that's like you know just nostalgic but yeah like i'm sure my 16 18 year old daughters would be like what are you talking about that's so ridiculous yeah and it's like uh, there used to be like uh, I, i'm sure i'm sure you did this you
1: strike me as a pretty big music fan but you would like go to a store and they'd be sold out of this the cd or the album that you wanted and then you and your friends would pile back into a car and be like oh i think they'll probably have it over there and you would like Road trip somewhere else, and like yeah, the music was part of it, but it was the kind of the hunt was also fun, and like going to find the album with your friends, and I think like that part, um, like the whole there's an element of that that I think um, you know, those of us that were old enough to remember it, like really appreciated. But yeah, maybe we're we're starting to sound like old timers with With uh
0: because it was the artwork too, and it was just like it was like you read the linear notes, it was just like it was a whole thing that they put a lot of time and effort into that is just completely different now. But so how do you, but how do you think about it? Like with, you know, the privacy updates and like, cause this is a thing across all marketing, not just the industry that you service. It's like, okay. Um, you know, how, you know, Apple is baking privacy into iOS for, you know, email opens and things like that. And, you know, it's just, there's so many things that are now good for consumers in terms of protecting and owning data, but it certainly can make it hard for, uh marketers to understand channels and attribution. Yeah. I think the best way to think about that is like we're clearly past peak data
1: and peak data wasn't last uh April with ATT. Peak data was probably in 2018 when GDPR rolled out, um which is the European Privacy Act and now the reason we have to click accept all cookies on every website we go to. Um, so if you think of we're 3-4 years past peak data um Like, it's hard to imagine that it's that far. Uh, But what you also have to remember is that when you think about, like, a marketer today, uh, you know, someone that's their 20s, 30s, 40s, they grew up digital. Um, They're all, like, almost by training, almost by lifestyle, are digital marketers, right? Um, And digital marketers, like, cut their teeth with perfect data. Uh, And that's air quote, perfect data, but data that you could, like, you look at your spreadsheet, you make the right decisions. The data goes in the same, in one direction. Um, so, you know, advertising has always been art and science, uh, but in the digital age, the pendulum had swung so far to science. Um, and what we're seeing post peak data is that the art and the expertise is having to play a bigger and bigger part. I took a sales call the other day um, and the CMO, uh, you know, she said it with a smile on her face, but she said, my team got dumb overnight. And what she really meant is I have data-driven performance marketers. And when ATT rolled out, uh, it became very obvious that data-driven performance marketers were needed, but you had to balance that with storytellers and graphic designers and creatives that would help uh, UX, UI, right?
0: Like that whole art side uh, became much more important that's so true yeah i agree like it became two data 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 versus the storytelling element i that goes across all industries including talent acquisition uh, right. that's a big piece of the storytelling now it's not just um uh, you know how many candidates can you reach out to and hopefully get to apply it's like no you want the right candidates and that's the, the right one's going to apply through storytelling mm-hmm. um so you've talked about like you know the earlier days when uh all these Record labels were trying to figure out marketing and they flew you around the world to give these uh these sessions to teach others. So what what are some of your favorite other uh client experiences that you've been a part of? You know, like uh there's just some times where I'm like
1: I have these pinch me moments. Uh um I was at Sony in London and they took us to the Brit Awards and uh, we were sitting with George Ezra's mom. And then we went to an after, par- like an unbelievable, like the type of after party that you think happens is what like Sony threw. And it was like, Mark Ronson was DJing and Rita Ora was dancing right. on tables. And it was just like, you That's know, you crazy. have these like pinch me moments, um, you know uh, but there's dozens of those like backstage at governor's ball. Uh, last fall was like, I can't believe live music is back. Uh, you know, that was really fun. Um, sometimes you'll end up at industry events. And, um, you know, I was I was at a fundraiser and we were sitting at the table next to the weekend. And it's like, ah, that's like, uh, you know, that's really fun. Um, I think professionally, like, uh, as I said, I'm not a huge music fan. So I have like, I have every invite I need to go to uh, mm-hmm. music. I uh, actually you can get more excited about some of the more business stuff that
0: we do, um, yeah. which is fun. Well, you talk about the weekend that their success was driven by your your agency. Like when no one knew who the weekend was, but then, like I read the case study on your website that talked about how you basically built their brand. Yeah, it's always we have to be careful on that. Uh, I think that artists
1: get you know uh, artists deserve all the credit. There's something very special about being able to
0: dream up the music and perform it. And uh, that goes without saying, of course. They've got to have the talent, the actual product that consumers want, but the support from your firm to help build up the awareness. Right. I think, um, you know, when I think back, I think the weekend
1: case study is great. The one I've liked the most is Lady Gaga. Uh, so we started working Lady Gaga when she was like a lounge singer, she used to sing at two gay nightclubs in New York. Uh, and Interscope had just uh, um, signed her, nobody knew about her. It was like, and uh, I remember the first set of ba- online digital creative, banner creative that we did. Um, and it was like Lady Gaga in 14-point font and featuring Colby O'Donis in 28-point font. Uh, and it was like, we have to, like, Colby O'Donis is such a star. We can't believe Lady Gaga got him on uh, on this track. Uh, like, we have to lead with Colby O'Donis. And now you look back and you're like, what were you right. thinking? Like, uh, uh, You know, but it was... What was really interesting about that campaign, it was typically a campaign will last like two months, you know, from album, first single through album launch. Uh, Interscope kept that campaign funded for almost three full years, Um, like pedal to the metal for three full years, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and every single was uh, marketed like it was the biggest one. Uh, And you can sort of go back and look through the creative and you can sort of see The investment they made and how it turned. Um, Her manager was, uh, you know, Bobby's doing great these days. But when I first met him, he was the admin on the project manager's desk for um, the project manager of Lady Gaga, right? And it was like, uh, and now it's, you know, Bobby Campbell. uh, And uh, it's just amazing to see that go from, you know, Interscope has a hundred artists that they don't think are going to turn into anything. And then you know, being there and like watching step by step by step, how that story got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and people understood sort of, you know, the music is the music is unbelievable, um, especially the early stuff. I think that might be the best pop album of all time. Um, uh, but watching that go and sort of her persona catch up to the music and then the music catch up to the persona and, and Lady Gaga's, uh, you know, maybe she's this generation's Madonna in some way, right? She sort of Transcendent music, culture, interestingness. Uh, So it's been, I mean, those are the ones that I love. I mean, Adele, Adele, we worked 19 uh, Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, like 19 was, it was good. It was like a good, you know, Mm -hmm. British singer, like, you know, Fiddle Lane, 21 was something different. Uh, Mm -hmm. 25 was something different, right? Like uh, those
0: were fun ones. Yeah, now Lady Gaga, I agree. Like we ironically, we were playing uh her playlist from Spotify, I think on Tuesday. So like we're just I mean, I just totally take it all in. She is so Talented, so talented. So we were going through like we go through these different genre binges. The next day was Janet Jackson and listen to her whole catalog. Just such great stuff. Well, you also support Boston Calling, which is a great festival. I think Boston's done a phenomenal job of build, building this big festival. And now that you know, hopefully, things like this pandemic are starting to like go away, and big festivals can be part of our culture again. But when I saw the lineup for this year's festival, I was like, whoa. They absolutely nailed it this year. You got, you know, the headliners, Foo Fighters, The Strokes, and Metallica. I'm like, okay, I mean, can you really improve upon that? I'm sure you could, but those are three amazing headliners. And then like the supporting artists underneath are all just phenomenal. But one struck me out as like an interesting name, Paris Jackson, where I'm like, I didn't know Michael Jackson's daughter was actually doing festival performances. I knew she was like an actress- musician, right? So she's got her career, but I didn't know she was like a performing artist for her festivals. So that was interesting. Yeah, I think that,
1: um, you know, festivals are interesting. I mean, when you think about Boston Calling, um, so this is, and I have to get them careful because there's, uh, they used to do two a year. Uh, They do a a spring and a fall at Boston um, Boston's Government Center, which was, it's basically a concrete plaza. Um, The audio was awful. It bounced off all the Uh, buildings, you you know, the stages were left and right. So if you were, you know, front row for one set, you turn around, you'd be back row for the next set. Um, So they've moved over to this year 11 or festival 11 for them. They've moved to Harvard. Now it looks like every other festival, except for it's like right on the banks of the Charles and Harvard's behind you. But I think you're right. Like that festival has stayed super true to itself, um, which is we want to put on like big headliner worthy headliners. And then they've always been great at finding just interesting things to, to plug in, um, right? Uh, they had a roller rink one year and it's like, you know, you always go for the headliners, but I think you leave talking about something else. So I think you're right. Like, you know, seeing Paris Jackson perform
0: is like, hmm, that doesn't happen that often. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. All right. So what are some good podcast book recommendations that you would have for for folks? Um, That's a great
1: question. Um, I like books that get to understanding of a person. Um, so um, the book that I buy every employee that starts here is How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, which is 100 years old now, uh, Dale Carnegie, and it really just gets to like what people want and how they want to be treated. Uh, And I think it's like, maybe, you know, maybe you have high enough EQ that you understand that. But once every two years or so, I read it again, and it's like, it still feels very fresh. Um, Ogilvy, Ogilvy's put out some uh, really fascinating books, but Ogilvy and advertising, uh, where he breaks down the art of advertising, um, I think is, you know, that's a great book. Uh, And just talking, uh, I mean, advertising is uh, there's something very when it's good, something very authentic about it. Um, you know, we talk, we can we can turn it into like um, Dilbert-esque acronyms, but like, how do you get a human to think and feel and do something? Um, I think is like, you look across it, and like I think Ogilvy would have been a great politician, right? I think Bill Clinton would have been a great advertiser, right? Like, there's people that know how to craft an argument. And sort of b- being taken down that story and saying, like, this is how you do it. This is what's important. This is where
0: you lead. Um, you know, those are those are two that I love. So outside of work, what do you like to do? You mentioned your family and hanging out with your kids, but uh, other activities. I have three daughters, um, you know, so they take up a lot of my time. Uh,
1: married my college uh, girlfriend, my college sweetheart. So uh, she also takes up some of my time. I love golfing. Uh, I think that if you have a stressful job, uh, you know, going and uh, walking around, uh, in nature is, is wonderful. Um, obviously, a big sports fan, as the previous mention of the Bills Mafia. So, if I can go see people compete um, at a high level, I love that. Uh, always find a way to do that. And then, you know, there's uh, play poker, and uh, um, my wife thinks I'm still in like a frat boy in
0: college right now. Uh, <laughs> so, but it's like uh, I have a lot of fun. Like, I, I love playing golf and I love playing golf with friends. Uh, but I'll tell you what, one of the most therapeutic things that I can do is playing around of golf by myself. It is absolutely just, it's, it's just peaceful. You're just kind of in your own mindset for four hours or however long it's going to be. And it's just like, wow. Like, especially if the golf course is kind of empty and you can go at your own pace. It's just, yeah. it's awesome. So will you come up and uh, play with me sometime? Yeah, I would love to, love to get out there. I'm looking forward to the weather switching over here. So uh, that would be a lot of fun. Well, Gogi, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, share your background story, all the great stuff that's happening at Goop the Media and uh, obviously, obviously great, all the great stories too. Thanks for having me. I appreciated the time and the conversation.